Well, g'day everyone, I'm Liam, and uh, if I haven't met you yet, look forward to meeting you after church. Uh, but I uh, wonder, if you've looked around churches at all, you'll have noticed that there's a whole range of ideas about uh, the way you should actually do church, how structured should church be, uh, down to whether you have individual seats or pews, uh, how, how should you have staff, should you even have staff, should you have a pastor, uh, and if you do have staff, how should they operate? Uh, maybe for you, when the rosters come out to be filled and the talk starts about planning and strategy and budgets, uh, maybe you think, oh, this is all just too complicated. Can't we just get on with it? Can't we just do it? Uh, well, that's not a new thought, and I want you to consider this little video uh, as we think about that. Oh, before I say that, uh, before we watch that video, uh, we will have a Q&A afterwards, so tuck away those questions. Well, uh, that's pretty compelling, isn't it? You look at that and you think, ah, oh, it should be like that, shouldn't it? Uh, I reckon this is often how we imagine the early church. Everyone just getting on with discipling, uh, without getting dragged down and distracted by systems and structures and organisation. Uh, but today we're going to dig into the early church, see the record of it. Clive's going to come up now. So let's read today's passage and see how it fits. Thanks, Clive. Our Bible reading uh, this afternoon comes from Acts chapter 6, Acts chapter 6, verses uh, 1 through to 7. In those days, when the number of the disciples was increasing, the Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Uh, verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So, the word of the God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Well, how did that uh, Bible reading feel after watching the video? Uh, to me, they sort of grated against each other. They didn't quite fit. Uh, it, it matched, the video matched with what I thought about the early church, but reading that passage, it, it didn't quite fit together. What's going on? Why can't we just get rid of the structures and systems and processes and just get on with discipling? Uh, that's what we're going to be asking as we dig in today's uh, passage. Again, remember, we'll have that Q&A there. Uh, what we're going to see first is... Ah, we don't have a PowerPoint yet, Rob. Uh, could you uh, go and get that sorted while uh, I kick off? Uh, so in your handout, you'll see that we've got a... Uh, 
luckily, outline. Uh, uh, three points as we work through the passage. Uh, the first is we're going to see the organic ideal. Uh, look at that ideal of being an organic structured church. Then we're going to have a look at why we need uh, to structure for priorities. And finally, we'll finish up by getting practical for us as we think about finding a balance in our practice. Uh, how do we actually do it today? So let's pray again, and then we'll get stuck into it. Uh, Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your revelation to us. Thank you for uh, recording uh, and preserving these accounts for us so that we might learn. We pray that as we open up this today, as Jenny prayed before, that you'll speak uh, clearly through me and that we all might be open and receptive to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, first of all, we're looking at the organic ideal. Uh, wouldn't it be nice, that video, wouldn't it be nice to say, you know what, we're all Christians, let's just do what's right. Let's just get out there and make it happen. But the big problem with the, or, uh, the ideal of being organic, just saying, okay, let's just do the right thing and make it happen, is it doesn't work. <laughs> the organic ideal doesn't work, and it never has. Uh, a lot of people have romanticised the idea of the early church in Acts, uh, this idea that, oh, yeah, they all just got on with it. It was fantastic. They didn't need structures. They didn't need planning. That it was all rosy. Uh, but when we dig into the reality in today's passage, we see something quite different. Uh, and we see there, I'll flick through. Uh, there we are. Verse 1. Uh, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, uh, the Hellenistic or Grecian Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So we have a problem come up. Uh, now these, might I remind us, are, are spirit-filled believers. They've been converted literally within months of the historic resurrection of Jesus. They're in the same town where Jesus physically rose from the dead. And their pastors, better than Rob and I, their, their pastors are the apostles. Like, what a church! This is the community that we read a couple of chapters ago. We're selling land and houses in order to fund the provision for the needy in their community. Not just selling off their knickknacks they weren't using anymore, selling assets. They had some kind of structure in this group to provide for the needy and they were growing. A couple of chapters ago, they're up to 5,000 men plus women and kids. And now more than ever, they're growing daily. It just sounds amazing, doesn't it? It sounds incredible. Why didn't it just work? Why did problems come up? Like this, like a big issue, like the widows in an era where there was no social security. If you're a widow, you rely on those around you. There were widows being neglected, being overlooked for their food. Why didn't it just work? Why didn't it just happen? Well, a few reasons. Uh, the first one is that we're all sinners. We're all sinners. Uh, and we don't get magically perfected when we start following Jesus. I, I don't know if you've heard that myth, <laughs> that when you become a Christian, oh, you're holier than thou. We, we don't get magically perfected the moment we start following Jesus. Uh, in Philippians 1, Paul writes this, He who began a good work in you will carry it on until the completion, completion until the day of, Jesus, of Christ Jesus. Uh, now, this is one of my favourite verses because it's, it says, well, when will Jesus finish the work he started in me? He started it. When's he going to finish? The day of Jesus. That's when Jesus returns. He's got a long time to keep working on in me. He's not finished yet. Uh, that, that means we're, we're, we're all sinners. We're not perfected. 
and you put any group of people who aren't perfect in a room together, what's going to happen? Well, some things just aren't going to work. So that's the first reason. But there's also the fact uh, the organic ideal doesn't work because we're cultural. We're cultural being, and we, we tend to click into our natural culture groups. I don't know if you noticed in the Bible reading, we have the Hellenistic and Hebraic Jews. Uh, that, that's really speaking about the language uh, that they, they spoke most commonly. Now, in the Roman Empire, uh, they had a common language, Greek, uh, over the whole empire. But the Jewish people, who especially who lived around Jerusalem, they took pride in learning their, their native language. And they would only do church, synagogue, in their native language, in Hebrew. And so it, it made a bit of a, it was a sort of understandable, a cultural point for them they said, well, we're going we're gonna to speak Hebrew as much as we want. We, we have to submit to these Roman overlords, but we're going to speak Hebrew. The problem was that not all Jews grew up in Jerusalem. A lot of Jews had been dispersed over the centuries and had grown up in other parts of the Roman Empire, so they didn't speak Hebrew. So when they came back to Jerusalem, uh, there's, there's this cultural divide. Same group ethnically, but now divide because they didn't speak Hebrew. So they actually started their own synagogues even. And when, when we have cultural divisions, and it's not, not a bad thing, it's just a matter of when there's differences in culture, we naturally click back into those groups and it does cause division. Uh, we were chatting about it in home group this week and two of the ladies in home group shared that they're, uh, they're both married to someone who their family speak another language and they both had the experience of being at a family gathering uh, where, yeah, everyone could speak English uh, but a whole bunch of them were speaking their na native tongue. Uh, and it's really intimidating to walk up to a group of people who are speaking a language you don't know, even though they know, you know they love you, and you know they will gladly switch, switch back to English if you approach. But it's, it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to cross that divide. It's just a natural thing that happens with culture. And it's not just in, uh, in language. Uh, it also happens as we with uh, socioeconomic, how much money you have, what sort of car you drive, where your kids go to school, with your preferences, what you like to do. Uh, all these things work to make... We're, we're cultural beings and we naturally slip back into what's comfortable. We drift into what's easy. And so in a group like that, naturally, organically, some people in the group will be cared for because they're culturally and relationally connected to the core, to the people who are doing the caring. Uh, the people who were cousins to the apostles or knew someone who knew them, they were closer to the centre and, and they got cared for. But the people who weren't, they were overlooked. Uh, often people are overlooked. And, and most of the time, I'd say 99% of the time, it's not malicious. Uh, they haven't been left out because, oh, we don't, we don't like those Greek-speaking Jews. We'll leave them out deliberately. I'm not going to feed their widows. It, it's a simple overlooking because this organic thing doesn't work. It's the out of sight, out of mind. You don't remember something uh, that you're not seeing every day. Uh, and so, as the early church discovered, just like today, the organic ideal doesn't work. Um, and they concluded... Uh, that we need structures. We can't just rely on organic care to happen. We need structures to make this happen. Have a look there in verse 3. Um, since this is a solution the, the apostles came up with, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. 
we will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip and Procurus and Neander and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Now, there's this idea going around sometimes that unless something is spontaneous and unplanned, it's not genuine. Uh, You might have come across that uh, when in the conversations about love and loving attitudes and someone who's very spontaneous and unplanned think, well, if it's got to be in your diary, it's not real. Uh, But that's not the case, is it? It doesn't have to be spontaneous and unplanned to be genuine. Uh, What we see here and the reality is that structures don't negate the genuineness of something. In fact, it's more loving because setting up structures uh, like this with a particular group of trustworthy individuals who are particularly responsible for making something happen. This is the first care team, isn't it? Uh, They're responsible for it. And when that gets done, when someone's responsible for it, it's far less likely that people will slip through the cracks. When you're not relying on it just to happen organically and relationally and naturally, uh, because they're not culturally similar, people will be looked out for. And it's an important thing to notice here that it's not centralised around the leaders in the group, uh, which is important because a lot of churches that function with this organic care system Really, it's focused around the pastor doing the caring or the pastor and who he knows uh, making it happen. There's no formal structures, but the pastor does or at least facilitates everything. There's this model of church that requires the pastor to personally care for everyone in the congregation, to do the visits, to make the phone calls, to have all the conversations that need to happen. And that actually works really well in a small, stable group. So in a small church with not much change in who's part of the congregation, that works pretty well. But this organic pastor-focused care only works to the capacity of that pastor. And if the church changes or grows, it just stops working. Which is why here in Acts, it's explicit that that is not the model they use. It's not a stable group, it's growing. And the apostles refuse to allow care to be centralised around them. Because care will happen way better if it's done by the community rather than if it's done by the pastor. See, practical care within the church is a far bigger job than could be done well by any few leaders. Uh, There's a quote that I really like. I discovered it this week. Uh, If you slice up a general, you don't get an army. You just get sliced general. You know, you can slice your general as thin as you like, but you're not going to get an army. You just get diced up general. And we need an army to care for one another. We need more than just one or even 12 people divided up. It does a much better job, especially for those who aren't organically connected to the centre, whatever that looks like. And especially if you want to grow. Because as a church, we've got more to think about than simply caring well for a small, stable group of people. And so having seen that the organic ideal doesn't work, uh, our second point now is that we need, to be, we need to structure for our priorities. Uh, if you have a look here at how the apostles handle it when they find different things competing for their time, we'll zip back to verse 2. Uh, so the 12 gathered all the disciples together, said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry 
of the word in order of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. Now, you might not have picked it up there, but there has been a suggestion that's happened that has tempted the apostles. Well, I know I would have been tempted by it. Uh, did you spot it in verse 2? Uh, the suggestion is implied. It's not right for us to neglect the ministry of word and wait on tables. It's implied. Someone said, hey, guys, you spend a lot of time preparing your sermons. You guys spend a lot of time praying. And we've got widows down here who are missing out on their food. Just can't some of you come down some of the time? Just trim back that time that you're spending on the word and prayer. Just not, not all of it. Just give us a portion of your time and, and come and wait on the tables. Just overset. Make sure everyone gets their cut. Now, that's tempting. Why? Why would have that been tempting for the apostles? Well, it's first of all, because no one wants to be seen as someone who's too good for menial tasks. No one wants the accusation thrown at them. Oh, well, you know, it's all right for Liam. He preaches, but you, you're not going to see him cleaning the toilets. You're not going to see him doing some other, waiting on tables. No, no one wants to be seen as too good to do something. So it's tempting when someone says, hey, why don't you just come down and get your hands dirty? That's an ethos in our culture. Someone who's roll up their sleeves and get their hands dirty. It's, it's tempting. But it's also tempting because of this, uh, this saying, which might have been invented back then. If you want a job done right... Do it yourself, uh, which is really just really proud, isn't it? And really arrogant, saying, well, no one else can be trusted to do this right. But it's tempting, especially when it hasn't been done right, especially like the apostles. People have missed out. Well, we'd better get down there and make sure personally that it's done right. But they didn't. They didn't succumb to this. Instead, they said something uh, quite grating. Uh, they said that there is something more important for us to do. We've got something else that will not be compromised. Now, we need to pause here because there's a really common misconception that if you say something is less important, that it doesn't matter. We equate it with, with being less important, with not being important at all. That if you say something is a priority, then all the other things don't matter. But, but that's not the case. Take our spiritual and physical health, for example. Now, what's more important? I'm a pastor, you know what I'm going to say. Spiritual health, your health for eternity, for the life after this one that lasts forever, that's more important. That's the priority. But does physical health then become not important? No, no, of course it's important. If you say physical health is not important at all, you'll stop eating and you'll die. Or you'll eat far too much and then you'll die. You know, either way, it's important. You can have something that's important, but it's not the priority. We understand that. We need to have priorities, though, because other stuff can come in and crowd out what is most important. Uh, the hard thing is, especially in church, is that it's almost always good stuff that comes in to squash out the important. Like feeding the widows. That, that's good. Jesus said, you'll know, they'll know that you're my disciples by the way you care for one another, love one another. This is important, crucial. But the disciples say, even this really important thing, it's not our priority. It's not our priority. So we have to know our priorities and actively make them priorities. What's it mean to make your priority a priority? Well, it means putting it in the diary, writing it in, not in pencil, in pen, uh, putting it in the budget first 
and then make sure it doesn't get squashed out by other things. That's what you do for your priorities. If you want to know what your priority is, have a look at what you set money aside for first. That's where your priority is. Have a look what goes into the diary first. That's a non-negotiable. That's your priorities. Um, so we need to be careful with that because uh, every yes is a no to something else. You might have heard that saying, it's really obvious, but if I say yes to going for a run, there's half an hour, if I'm lucky, uh, that I can't be doing something else. It's saying no to something. And every time I say yes to something, whether it's with my money, whether it's with my time, whether it's with my attention, I'm saying no to something else for that. And we've got to get into this process of remembering what is it that I'm saying no to by saying yes to this thing. See, if the apostles were to say yes to overseeing this care team, they would have said no for that period of time to their sermon prep, to their preaching and their prayer. That's just the reality. But what this passage calls the, the ministry of the word and prayer, the apostles in the New Testament make really clear is to be the priority for Christians. Now, now why should that come first, even above feeding widows? as a priority. Well, fundamentally, it comes first because of who it's coming from and to. Uh, the ministry of the word, that's the ministry of the Bible, uh, and the ministry word is there, a work word, so it's sermon prep and preaching and teaching, is God's word to us. So, of course, that's important. And, and prayer is the other way. It's the conversation back to God. It, it comes first as a priority because it's the focus on God, the source of life and truth. And prayer is our dependent reliance on our Father. Uh, that's the thing that has united this community of believers in Acts. That's the reason we're here today, is to hear from, or perhaps even follow, the God of the Bible and speak back to Him in prayer. That's why it becomes a priority, because it's a thing that unites us. But it's also a priority in this community because of what it achieves. And we get that in verse 7. Uh, so this is a result of what happened. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, this is a huge deal. The priests up to this point were holding out. This is the Jewish priests. They're saying, no, 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 we, we're not going to follow this cult. That's what they called it, a cult of Judaism. We're going to hold firm. We're conservative. That's what the priests do, isn't it? Hold firm. But, but the result is that the word of God spread. People became Christians. Even priests were convinced. The structuring for priorities led to more growth. It led to a breakthrough in the Jewish priests. And, and crucially, it wasn't an either-or decision for the apostles. They didn't have to choose either we teach and preach and pray or we care for the widows. No, no. This is our priority, preaching and praying, but this is still important and we're going to make sure it happens. And that's why we need to work at finding a balance. You can't just pick one and say, well, we're going to be a caring church or we're going to be a word church. We've got to find this balance. And we're going to break this into three sections. Uh, first, we'll see if you've been hurt. If you've been hurt by the church, how can you respond possibly to this? Uh, second, we'll think about as a church, as a group, how can we respond? And then personally, individually, what should I be doing about this? Uh, so, finding the balance if you've been hurt by the church. Now, now, there's a fair likelihood that at some point in your life, if you've been around to a Christian community, you might have been hurt by the church. You might have been hurt by our church. 
You might have felt left out. You might have felt let down or forgotten. You might have felt excluded or replaced. It seems they're the the most common ways that we're hurt. And if that's you, you're not alone. You're not alone. Uh, Sadly, it's been happening from the very beginning. And if you can empathise with that, if you've been hurt, you can probably, you're probably in a better place to understand what these Greek-speaking widows were feeling. As they were watching the Hebrew-speaking widows get fed and looked after, and and you're sitting there going, oh, just because I didn't grow up in Jerusalem, I'm, I'm not in. I'm left out. I'm excluded. But if that's you, if you've been hurt by the church, here's a few things that maybe you might need to do. Perhaps you need to forgive. Perhaps you need to forgive. If you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, fundamentally that means that you have been forgiven by God. That you have come to God saying, God, I, I have a debt to you that I can, I can never repay. And when you understand that, when you truly understand that, we also truly understand that no one, however, however badly I've been hurt, no one could hurt me as badly as I've hurt God. And therefore... I couldn't forgive anybody as much as God has forgiven me. So if you've been hurt and if you're holding on to that, I want to encourage you to think, well, how how might forgiveness look like for you? But the second thing is you don't just forgive and forget. Uh, You might need to raise the issues. Now, I don't think that this passage is a great example of raising the issues. The word there for uh, the, the grumbling that was happening is murmuring. So it doesn't look like one of the representatives came to the apostles and said, oh, excuse me, Peter, excuse me, John, just a little issue over here. It, it seems there was some gossiping, some murmuring, some complaining that just got louder and louder. So there are better and worse ways to raise the issue, but it is fundamentally important that if you've been hurt, you raise the issue. And, and if you've never raised the issue, I just want to say respectfully We can't do anything about it if you've never told us. (laughs) I'm not a mind reader. Uh, Neither is anyone else in the room that I know of. If you are, come and tell me. It'd be a really useful skill to have. But but if you've been hurt, if something's happening that's hurting you, you need to raise it. Nothing's going to change if you don't tell someone about it. But I want to encourage you, don't gossip, don't murmur, don't grumble. Go to the person, ideally, who's hurt you, if it's an individual, or the person who can do something about it. Might be a home group leader. It might be Rob or me or or Ellis. Go to the person who can do something out, but you need to raise the issue, which leads us on to, oh, I haven't got, uh, oh, yeah, messy little messy often. This is uh, one of my other pastor friends, I think he came up with this or stole it from someone, I like it. Um, But it's this idea that says we are a sinful community. I'm not perfected, guaranteed I will hurt you at some point if you hang around with me long enough. I'm a sinner. I'm not going to get it right all the time. And I want to encourage you that when I hurt you, please come to me. Come to me quickly and do it before it gets bigger. So make it messy. Come on and say, hey, Liam, you did that little thing that hurt me and do it often. If you hold on to it until you've got a list of 30 things that you've been sitting on for six months, it becomes big. And by that stage, you might have already decided, I don't want anything more to do with this guy. Little and often, it's great, great advice in any relationship, but especially in the church. Raise it. Raise it regularly when it's small. Uh, and then we'll need to be proactive. We need to be part of the solution. 
Something you may or may have not, not have noticed in the passage is all the names of the seven people who were called on to, to look after the widows, they're all Greek names. They're not Hebrew names. So which widows were the ones getting left out? Oh, it was the Greek widows. And who did they put in charge of looking after them? Oh, the Greek guys. They raised the issue and they said, fantastic. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons why it was really wise for the early church to put a minority group in a really significant uh, place of responsibility. But good lesson. Don't, don't expect someone else to fix the problem. We want to be proactive, be part of the, part of the solution. And if you've been hurt... This is possibly the most important. Uh, it's significant at the very least. Examine yourself. Now, now, this comes back to our first two points because there's crept into our, pretty commonly into our church culture, this idea that if the pastor hasn't cared for me, I haven't been cared for. If the pastor hasn't cared for me, I haven't been cared for. Uh, we had a person in our church who was ill for a time and for a variety of reasons they couldn't make, make it to church. Uh, I checked in with their home group leader regularly about them. They were getting called, they were getting cared for, thought, great. Uh, now, at the end of their sickness, when they could have come back to church, they actually decided not to come back to church. And, and they said, quote, no one called me. No one called me. Now, Rob had called them. <laughs> their home group leader had visited them on a bunch of times and called them. Their home group had called them. What did they mean? Ah, oh, Liam, the, the pastor hadn't called because they had this idea that if if I have if the pastor hasn't cared for me I haven't been cared for and they felt hurt even though they'd been really well cared for it just happened not to be by me uh, the phrase pastoral care gets thrown around where you sort of use it within church to care for one another I reckon we need to get rid of it altogether and call it congregational care something like that because there is no way no way that I can care for all you guys. So, so examine yourself. The other thing that often happens, I know I do this when I get hurt, is we, is we fall into this really uh, destructive cycle of feeling isolated and withdrawing. Uh, so, you know, you, you feel isolated, maybe you've been hurt. So what do you do when you get hurt? Oh, protection. And what's that make you? Feel more isolated and you step back and back and back and it's this cycle. And often when that happens, even people will call you and you don't answer the phone because you're hurting or you don't respond to the texts or you say, no, I'm not, I'm not going to bother. I'm just too painful. But at some point, people have to stop following you up or it's called harassment. <laughs> at some point, after a few unanswered texts and a few phone calls that haven't been returned, I, I've got to stop calling you. I've got to stop pursuing you because you're saying, hey, back away, Liam. And then you might say, oh, well, I didn't get chased up. So, so have a look, examine yourself. Um, there may well have been real hurts, probably were some real hurts in there, but it's always good when we feel hurt to try and step back and ask, does how I'm feeling really match what happened? So that's the things to do if we've been hurt. Forgive, raise the issues, be proactive, examine yourself. And now as we think about finding the balance in caring for others, and keeping the word and prayer central as a church. Um, oh, I don't know what's happened there. Sorry. Uh, keeping the word central as a church. Where are we? I'm just going to forget about that and we'll have to come back in a minute. Um, that's all right. Uh, yeah, so as a church, we're not just talking about what happens here at four o'clock. 
So this is our church. This is when we gather. Um, and we need to think about how we can have good structures in our community. We actually need an army. That, we need to remember that quote. Uh, you can slice your general up as finely as you like, but you're not going to get an army. Uh, we need good structures to care for one another. Uh, and one of the best structures we have is home group. Uh, home group is the place where you will get cared for best if you're part of this church. Smaller groups, usually under 10, with people who are responsible to keep an eye on you, to know where you're at. Uh, we had it just this last week. Someone hurt their ankle, a bunch of meals turned up at their places. There were offers, you know, and, and we don't have to let the whole church know about that. I wouldn't have known about that if I wasn't in that home group. Uh, that's where care happens, and it's a fantastic structure. So as a church, we need to keep working on good structures uh, to make sure that people get cared for. We also need clear priorities, which means we have to say no to stuff. It means we have to say no to good stuff. Uh, because what is being asked uh, might actually be drawing someone away from the ministry and the word and prayer. You might have a great idea. Hey, Liam, what about you come along and do this? How about you do this? How about you do this? You might say that to your home group leader, to someone else. But every yes is a no. What might it be dragging that person away from? What it might be dragging our church away from? We can only do so much. So keep suggesting ideas, but know that from time to time, we'll have to say no to good stuff to keep our priorities. Uh, I, I want to encourage us too to celebrate diversity. I, I want to encourage you not to feel bad about what you're not gifted at. I, I do this, I don't know if you do, I will look at someone who's got a p particularly amazing gift, I look at people who are empathy and who manage not to say the wrong thing in the right situation, whatever that is, double negative there, I, ah, I wish I was like that, I, I wish I was gentler, I wish I was more attuned, I wish I was more astute, uh, but don't get sucked into that game of what you're not particularly gifted at, instead let's see the beauty of how much we can do together and recognise the different gifts and embrace it. Uh, Romans 12 says this, we all have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it's serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, give encouragement. If it's giving, give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. If it's showing mercy, do it cheerfully. The Bible gives us a beautiful picture of a group of people working together called a body, different parts, different functions, one body. So celebrate and embrace that diversity and whatever you're good at, get involved. Uh, and personally, what's this going to look like for us personally? Well, I want to come back to that messy little messy often because like I said, I'm going to hurt you if you hang out with me long enough. Are you a sinner? Yep. Are you going to hurt others? Yep. What should they do when you hurt them? They should come and talk to you about it. So not if, but when... Someone comes to you and says, hey, that joke you told really hurt me. I felt a bit excluded when. When that happens, not if, when that happens. When you do something that hurts someone, they, they approach you and make it a bit messy. I want to encourage us to embrace it. Embrace it as a chance to grow, as a chance to repent, to change, to ask for forgiveness. Or maybe just explain, have a conversation and build relationships so messy, little messy often, that's what we can do. I want to encourage us to watch out for widows. Now, it might be the actual widows, but it might be the proverbial widows, the people who are socially not like you, 
who might not be in the same demographic, who might not be in the same socioeconomic group, who might be just new and on their own. Watch out for the people who might not be scooped up and uh, naturally included in what's going on and think, how can I bring them in? How can I love them and care for them practically? Personally, I want to encourage us to take responsibility. Uh, That came out in verse 3, didn't it? The apostles didn't just give them jobs. They said, rightio, Stephen, uh, you're over there on that table. You're over there, Philip. You're over there tomorrow. No, no, they gave them responsibility. They said, you're responsible for making this happening. Uh, I want to encourage uh, all of us uh, to, if you see somewhere you can serve, not just to look for a list of jobs to say, well, I can do this and I can do it once. Hey, Liam, I know Rob has to do a heap of setting up on Sunday, which he does for a bunch of time. If you say, I can come this one Sunday, that's helpful. If you say, oh, I could be on that team. I could, I could take responsibility for that. I could commit to doing that once a month. That's going to make a huge difference. We've still got empty spots on our roster and there's jobs that we would love to get done that we just can't fill at the moment. Uh, Rob's in charge of a whole bunch of that stuff. So if you'd like to take some responsibility for serving, come and see Rob and and see who you could free up uh, to do more ministry. And we need to land on uh, prioritising the prayer and uh, and the word of God. As we read on through Acts, uh, Stephen and Philip are two of these table waiters who come up again. Both of them appear again preaching. They're right stuck into telling people about Jesus. So just because their responsibility was the widows, make sure they get fed, that didn't mean they stopped making the first thing the first thing, making the priority the word. Even as we're caring for someone practically, let's try and encourage them spiritually. Let's pray for them if we can. I would encourage us to prioritise it in your life, prioritise the word and prayer in your intake It's going to mean your personal Bible reading and prayer time. Put it in your calendar, your diary, and don't let the other stuff push it around. If it's a priority, it will get first bite at the cherry. And I want to encourage us to prioritise it as we all could invest in others. Now, you might not particularly be gifted in preaching or in leading a home group or in teaching kids' church, uh, but you can invest in the word and prayer in others at home group. We talk about this. We looked at just a couple of weeks ago as we looked at the purpose of home group. We come to build others up, to ask questions, to make comments, to explore the Bible together and pray for one another. And I want to encourage you to put that first, to invest in others. Don't let other stuff push it around. It goes in first and it doesn't get moved. That's what a priority is by definition. Other stuff can't push it out. Every yes is going to be a no to something else. So we need to make it work. And as we do this, as we structure well, as we take responsibility, as we get our priorities right, God will build his church. Let's pray and then we'll jump into question time. Father God, we thank you so much uh, that uh, you don't put on a picture of a perfect group of people Uh, that seems so unattainable and unrealistic and call us to do that. Uh, But we thank you that in your word, which you've so carefully recorded and preserved for us, we get a a real picture of a real group of people who are still sinners but are being transformed by you. And we see that uh, picture in ourselves. Uh, Real people who have real issues and real sin who are bit by bit being transformed. So we pray 
Uh, We pray that we will be able to do this well, that we will do care well, that we'll structure well, but that we'll get the first things first, that we'll prioritise well too. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, that's, uh, that's the sermon, so as we normally do, question time. Ellis is going to come around. He's got a microphone. Why don't you take this one, Ellis? Over to George. In, in chap- the sixth chapter, six, it says they had prayed and they lay- laid hands on them. So what... Who receives and why did they do that to those? To that group of people. Yes, and they laid hands on. Thanks, George. So in verse 6, they pulled these guys aside and they laid hands on them and prayed for them. Um, I think this is really significant. It's a a form of identification uh, right through the Old and the New Testament. Uh, Laying on of hands is a personal, individual act of identifying with someone or something um, so I don't think that if they'd prayed, but I don't know, they were all amputees and couldn't lay on hands, it wouldn't have worked. Or if Corona had been, it was illegal to lay on hands or something, it wouldn't have worked. But it's a particular uh, symbolic but important action to say, hey, we, we are entrusting this with you. Uh, significant of a, it's like a, when I was married, my wife's father walked her down the aisle and holding Lucy's hand and passed her hand to me, you know. That didn't do anything, legally or otherwise. Very significant, though. Very symbolic. So a bit like that. Very significant. This is a big deal. We're giving you this responsibility and entrusting you with it. Thanks, George. Sue. Sorry, I'd like to raise two things. At a previous church, I did backdoor exit interviews. And as you say, so many times people said, nobody came and talked to me, nobody sat with me, nobody prayed for me. Mm. But when I talk to those people, they never sat with anybody else and they never asked for prayer. And so it's really important, as you say, to be self-responsible and ask for prayer and let people know that you're actually hurting. And that leads to my second one was where um, one of the ladies in the church here, um, after we parted ways one day, I said, thank you for something. And she rang me later and said, were you being sarcastic and rude to me? And... um, I wasn't, and I explained what I was saying, and it was very encouraging, but I was really pleased that she actually rang me and gave me the opportunity, because otherwise we've got bad feelings that don't need to be there, and so you need to give that person the opportunity. Mm. Yeah, thanks, Sue. Really important um, to, to, it's that raise raise the issue. Now, I do just, I I think something I didn't say in the sermon that's worth saying here, is sometimes you're in a place uh, where you're vulnerable or you're so hurt that Actually, you're not in a healthy enough place to raise it as a problem. Uh, and that's, and, and again, it's going to be very hard for those around to know what's happening if you can't raise it, even if you can't raise it. So that's where we can uh, look on others and, you know, ask, uh, help them out. Uh, yeah, be extra sensitive, even, even if they're not waving and saying, hey, I need help. Um, but yeah, thanks for that, Sue. Yeah. Right, well, we might finish it off there.